Welcome to Podcast with Lara Axtell, a seasoned educator of 26 years. Podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. Visit readinghorizons.com to learn more. And now, Podcast with your host, Lara Axtell. Welcome to Podcast. Today's topic is EdTech. Are teachers getting the preparation they need to effectively implement technology in the classroom? First, we'll hear from Mike Carlin, an educator with years of experience as a K-12 technology specialist and currently a university instructor who has been researching the kinds of technical professional development that would help teachers be more effective. Next, Melissa, a classroom teacher from Georgia, will share her experience and perspective about the use of EdTech. And our last guest, Brianna Hodges, Director of Digital Learning at a district in Texas, an EdTech coach and Google Education Certified Trainer and Twitter guru, will share some practical ideas about incorporating EdTech and the benefits to students and educators. Thanks for joining us. First, we'll hear from Mike Carlin. Welcome to PodClass, Mike. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. So tell me a little bit about how you uh, came to be interested in the topic we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. So my education career began as a secondary high school biology teacher uh, out in Kansas, which is where I'm from originally. And I love teaching biology, but what I found there was that since I was also the new young teacher that a lot of folks would ask me their technology questions. And so I found myself uh, spending a lot of my planning periods and after school time working with my colleagues to support their technology integration practices. And then what ended up happening was that the administrators at the school sort of noticed this uh, and started asking that I lead the occasional technology professional development um, on different tools that I had found or even on things like our gradebook software or learning management system at the time. So I sort of became the de facto provider of uh, technology professional development for teachers at my school. And then after that, I ended up teaching in Korea for two years at the elementary level. And that sort of continued. Uh, I was doing a lot with technology in my classroom. Other teachers were really interested in it. And so I ended up providing lots of trainings there as well. And what I found was that I really loved that role, supporting my colleagues with technology in their classroom and providing professional development. So um, when I was looking for my next job, I found a position in Colombia, South America, where I was able to teach computer science and computer literacy, but also serve as a technology coach or technology integration specialist. So my job officially became to provide professional development half the time, teach classes half the time. They had just adopted iPads for the teachers, and so a big part of my work there was providing a lot of secondary trainings, but also one-on-one trainings for my colleagues on how to use their iPads effectively in their classroom. And so now what my current role is, um, I have come to Indiana University to um, work on my doctorate in instructional systems technology. So I'm currently a PhD candidate. I'm working on my dissertation. But a lot of the work I've done here has been um, teaching pre-service teachers, so future teachers, about how to use technology in their future classrooms and also how to lead effective technology professional development so that when they end up in those types of situations where they're teaching other teachers how to use technology, they'll 
kind of know what to expect and how to do it and things like that. And that's also what some of my research has focused on as well. It's just what does effective technology professional development look like? How can we better provide that to teachers? Um, what are teachers' needs that aren't being addressed and things like that? So I think it's a pretty important topic just because so many schools and districts are moving towards additional technology. It's not slowing down anytime soon. More districts are becoming one-to-one, so a device for every student. Um, but a lot of times what we see is that the support and training that's provided for teachers isn't always meeting their needs. And so they're left with a classroom full of devices, but not necessarily the best strategies for how to use those devices to support teaching and learning in their classroom. So the role currently exists in many places, but what about actual tech PD for teachers? I know lots of schools where they have smart boards and the majority of teachers would say they haven't had much training, probably don't use them very effectively. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty common from smart boards to Chromebooks. There's a lot of situations where schools have the technology and have the resources, but maybe teachers haven't received the training or haven't received enough training for them to feel sort of comfortable and confident using it in the classroom. I think a lot of times what we'll see is uh, sort of that first day back, you know, teacher training week, and there'll be a couple of different professional development sessions, uh, maybe on new initiatives. And then maybe one of those sessions is, hey, here's the new technology. Here's the new learning management system we're using, or here's the new apps we're using. And it'll be sort of this one and done workshop where someone sort of presents, here's what the technology is, here's how to use it, go use it. And then there's never any real follow-up support with that. Or maybe at the end of the semester, there's another PD or at the end of the school year. But a lot of times it's these sort of one and done workshops where it's more presentation-based rather than letting teachers actually get their hands on it, try it. And there's a lot of ways to improve on that sort of traditional approach to PD. Doesn't this specific uh, issue raise other issues in the sense that, you know, teachers who have been teaching for many years, uh, technology like this didn't exist back then. And so they are really having to enter kind of a whole new world. And sometimes that looks like resistance, but sometimes that's just their own um, feelings of inadequacy. Like they're just not sure how to use all this great stuff. Well, a lot of times what has happened, at least in my own experience, is that teachers who maybe have that reluctance or hesitancy, it's because in the past they've been said, hey, you need to do this. Hey, you need to do this. Uh, and they'll try to do it in the classroom and maybe it goes really wrong and the lesson sort of turns out to be a disaster because the Wi-Fi doesn't work or the logins don't work and any number of things that can go wrong with technology, maybe something goes wrong and so then they sort of get in that mindset that like, oh, I'm just bad with technology or it's not going to be better than how I normally teach anyway. All those sort of things when really maybe they just needed some additional support and help and training um, from someone who could kind of walk them through what the problems might be and how to overcome those problems. But a lot of times that doesn't happen. Given all those issues, if you could design effective PD, that would kind of address both where the educators coming from and a lot of the amazing resources that exist, what, how would you design that? Absolutely. That's a great question. Uh, a, a lot of times what we see in the, the research on this topic and what I've seen in my own experience is that 
there's sort of three main things that PD needs to be effective. First is that it's sustained and continuous. So it's not just a single workshop, but it happens over time. Maybe that looks like a coach coming into your classroom and providing follow-up support or just-in-time support. Maybe it looks like a professional learning community where you're meeting with other teachers in your grade level every week or month to sort of talk about how they're doing things and what's working, what's not. But it needs to be more than just a single workshop. It needs to be happening over time throughout the year where that follow-up support is also provided. The second thing that Effective PD looks like is that it needs to be contextualized. So offered in the context of the teacher's actual classroom setting. So a lot of times PDs are done in sort of a lecture hall or a district building where maybe the resources or access or tools that they have there aren't actually specific to the teacher's own classroom. So then when the teacher tries to take things back to their own classroom, it doesn't work as expected or they're not able to use the same tools or the same apps. But a lot of times there's that disconnect between sort of what's being talked about at the PD and then like what the teacher's actual classroom experience with that technology is. And then the third thing that for me is always one of the most important is that it needs to be personalized to the teacher's individual needs. So rather than just, hey, here's this new tool, it's great for all K-12 teachers, here's how to use it. Instead, here's this new tool and here's how to use it in the fourth grade classroom specifically related to our students' needs and our teacher needs or here's this great tool, it's perfect for the social studies classroom, something like that where it's actually addressing the individual needs of the teachers who are attending the PD. Those are great suggestions. Um, what's your thought about using students? Uh, for example, you know, in the Back in the day, um, students used to work in the office or, you know, a senior would have an extra period or something like that. And often students can be great resources with technology, and many of us have relied on them at one time or another. Is there a role for students at all? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I love, love, love when students can take a part in this process. Some great examples I've seen are where schools have student tech teams. Sometimes that looks like them going around and troubleshooting technology issues, but sometimes it also looks like them helping teachers learn to use new apps or new tools um, in cool ways. So that's awesome. And even just within, like, within schools where that doesn't exist, sort of realizing that, hey, it's okay if I am struggling with this technology because I bet my students can figure it out and then we can learn together. So shifting that mentality of, hey, I've got to be the one who holds all the knowledge and knows how to do everything to, hey, we can co-learn about this technology resource, figure it out together, and then figure out some really cool ways to use it to support learning in the classroom. So if you were a superintendent or a or building administrator and you realized the need, where would you start? What would be your first um, approach towards you know developing a strategy? Yeah, there's a couple of different approaches I think that can be effective. One uh, is finding teacher leaders within a school, so folks who are doing a great job, and then tasking them with, hey, can you help uh, you know, your colleagues in the grade level or in your department? Would you be willing to lead some training? And obviously that can put extra burdens on teachers, so it's always nice when there's like 
extra duty pay or something that goes along with that to make sure we're not overburdening those teachers who are already overburdened. But finding teacher leaders who can be that support is great, especially in districts where maybe you don't have the budget for a technology coach or someone who is specific to that role. That can be really helpful. One thing for schools that are close to schools of education, finding university practice partnerships where folks in the School of Ed can come out and provide that service to the schools. That can be really helpful. And usually that exchange looks like, hey, yeah, we can come out, we can provide training, and we'd love to collect some data on how effective our training is so that we can write about it. And those types of partnerships can work really well also. And then, of course, if you do have the budget, finding people who can fill that specific role of um, someone who's going to be like a technology coach who can actually help one-on-one in the classrooms with the teachers, provide that feedback, provide that support, that, of course, looks great. So on top of everything else you're doing, (laughs) you've got a couple of other irons in the fire. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, run a blog called the EdTech Roundup. It's on Twitter at ET Roundup. And I focus primarily on writing reviews of um, education technology services, products, apps, things like that. So for teachers who are looking for some additional professional development or just to learn about kind of what's out there, what's working, what's not, um, that's always been sort of my goal is to write with teachers in mind and also technology leaders in mind to sort of help save them time so they can find resources that are valuable and then hopefully avoid ones that aren't so valuable. Great. Well, thank you so much for lending your expertise. This is a a really hot topic right now and couldn't be more timely with, um, you know, so many purchases happening at the beginning of every year, as you mentioned, and just the need to incorporate this effectively. Absolutely. It was my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on the podcast. One of our goals is to make sure that we incorporate multiple perspectives. We're talking about ed tech in the classroom today, and we welcome Melissa, a classroom teacher. My name is Melissa. I am from Georgia, and I am currently teaching special ed uh, grades two through five. So could you tell us a little bit about your experience with ed tech? I am very fortunate that we are in a county that is very much into technology and very fortunate that we have the money for the technology. In our classroom, I have a smart board. I have a camera that will portray documents up onto the screen, too. We have teacher computers. I also am fortunate to have two desktop student computers. And also, over the years, we have gotten enough funding to have roughly around 11 laptops for the students to use. And so I'm very fortunate that the county invests in their technology. You know, we also have things like clickers or other kind of response things for the kids. Uh, last summer, I was fortunate enough to go through a training, uh, a Google training um, so that I could learn how to incorporate all of the different components of Google into the classroom as well. And uh, it sounds like you're really pretty excited about it. Do you think that's true of all teachers? Have you worked with some teachers that may be a little reluctant to try and modify their teaching practices to include all this technology? 
Yes. Not all teachers are gung-ho about using technology in their in their rooms. Um, some are reluctant to try new things. Or I don't want to say reluctant. I think they're more scared of trying new technology in their classroom. They're comfortable with, you know, what has been going on and just, you know, for, say, the worksheets and everything. They're reluctant to try something that they're not familiar with and they're not sure it's going to work. And so there are some teachers that are reluctant. I think it also takes time. It takes preparation to learn these tools and then to prepare them for the classroom. And that may be something that the teachers just don't have as well. We'll be right back. Podcast is sponsored by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com demo to see how Reading Horizons can transform your reading instruction. Now we're joined by Brianna Hodges. Welcome to PodClast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. So we're talking about a, a really timely topic, ed tech and its uses in schools. So could you speak to your own experience with educational technology? So I have kind of a, a really, I guess, interesting way of coming around to educational technology. Um, I was not, uh, I did not come straight out of college um, into education. So my background was in marketing and public relations and political fundraising. But um, before I came into the classroom, my most recent experience was as a, a director for marketing and PR for a hospital. And so as that, one of the things that we were often tasked with doing was to create little micro sites because after all, it's not the most calming and comforting situation uh, to go into a hospital for a procedure. And, and, you know, you have these big scary words and, um, and there's just a lot of stress that's involved around it. And so uh, one of the things that we would do is we would create, like I said, these micro sites using video and animations and infographics and, and descriptions and, and personal stories and anecdotes and different things that just kind of, you know, explained um, situations using a variety of lenses for experience and, and in different ways. And so fast forward to being in the classroom and I was in a, a middle school English teacher. I was teaching eighth grade and, uh, you know, was, was running into situations with, with my students where they weren't understanding these big, scary things like allegory and, and all these different ideas. And so I went with what I knew, which was to create these little micro sites utilizing video and anecdotes and pop culture and and just all of the different things that brought in the lens of experience for my students. And it was that aha moment of this is what learning looks like for all of us, regardless of our age. And, um, you know, my, my kiddos just really started to understand um, these things that we were talking about on such a deeper level and, and connected with it. And so I didn't even know that ed tech was a thing. I just was doing what we do in corporate America. And lo and behold, there, there's a thing called ed tech. And, and, um, and now I have a master's in it and all this stuff. But it was just, it was so interesting to really kind of bring it in from that, uh, from that outside perspective. So you've done a lot of writing and other things. Why are you so passionate about this topic? I think that, you know, as somebody who has been in, um, in education, but has also been in, in corporate communications and different things like that, I think that it's really important to 
study and look at how the brain learns and what it is that keeps us all moving forward. You know, um, that is one of the things that makes me super, super passionate about this topic is just what does learning look like and feel like and how can we create, you know, this continuum of excitement. Um, our, we're born curious and that's our job as educators is to keep that curiosity and that excitement going and not to drown it out with, you know, rote memorization that uh, of things that, that aren't really, you know, the connectivity that we have into, into our world. And so um, I'm super passionate about just driving forward that learning experience and, and utilizing the tools that we have available to us to create that multidimensional learning opportunity. So you mentioned, you know, ed tech certainly is a thing now. In fact, it's a little overwhelming. There's so much being written about it. And the average educator may just be going, what, <laughs> you know, where do I start? What do you see as the biggest ed tech challenges that face educators and then also administrators? I think first and foremost, is that it can't be just an ed tech thing. I think that we we look at, look to ed tech as being this kind of silver bullet or one thing to rule them all. But I think that, um, you know, the challenge is that we have to look at different tools and different opportunities to create solutions for these challenges. And, um, and there's not going to be one platform and there's not going to be one tool and there's not going to be one right answer for everyone. Instead, there's going to be, you know, that clickable menu, if you will, where we can click off of a student and then open up a menu that has more opportunities for them and then, you know, keep kind of drilling it down until we get to the correct situation for that, that personalized situation for that individual student. I think the challenge becomes technology is happening at a such a swift pace that it's almost impossible for us to keep up with it. And as soon as you think you have your hands around something, it's um, it's almost brand new uh, the next day. That is a big challenge. <laughs> um, and so let me ask you about um, two types of teachers that are, you know, relatively common. One is the teacher who's maybe been teaching for a while. So a veteran teacher who doesn't really feel comfortable with not only the speed at which it's happening, but just generally the so many resources out there and, you know, just doesn't really feel comfortable or competent. What about that teacher that's just been doing this for a while and just isn't comfortable? Well, I think that that's something that's super common everywhere, right? And I think all of us can definitely identify with that, regardless of, of our roles or where we are, um, you know, knowing what you know and being comfortable and, and, and fluid in what you know, and then to all of a sudden have this change put in front of you is, is very difficult. And so I, I think we can definitely empathize with that for sure. The thing that I think is, is most important and is most pressing with that is you have to have a reason to change and you have to have a why to change or a why of what it is that you're doing. And, you know, I think people all have reasons why we do what we need to do or, or where we need to do. And so what I would encourage us to look at is number one, there's not going to be, just like I said, there's not a one, one tool that's going to be the best tool. There's also not going to be a one method that's going to be the best method. So how can we look at that teacher and look at her individual circumstances to help her or him leverage 
their experiences with also the new tools that might be available to them. You know, what are the things that I know that I need to bring in for my students to to really understand this topic and then look at it from the pedagogical practice of what is, you know, the best way for me to to introduce this, to keep their information um, engaging and sustainable? How can I best teach this situation and then look at what ed tech tools are out there to say, you know, will this help my students become more engaged with the topic or will this help them demonstrate it in a way that I wasn't going to be able to any other way? In, in some in some circles, they call this the traditional approach, right? Like it's like it's the traditional with the digital. How do we bring this in together and, and say that there are elements of each, that blended opportunity of each to um, to really kind of change the learning environment for our students. And so I guess my summarization of that would be, how can we help that teacher identify for herself the areas that would be open to to incorporating some tools? And so that could be maybe you know, she needs some productivity help of maybe she's just got so much grading to get done and she wants to have it done in a different way. So that way she can get back to her, her own personal children, or maybe it's providing some different demonstrations for students who have been really challenged in, in her own classroom to show what they know in traditional ways. Or maybe it's, you know, just creating that connection that, that they haven't had before. But finding the ways and the places that are appropriate to fit in there without feeling like they have to throw everything out and starting over again. The TPAC structure, the TPAC framework is technology, pedagogy, and content knowledge. I, I love this. I, I use it a lot with our, our teachers and with our coaches as far as think of it as kind of a triple then. And what you're looking at is, like I said, is the, the content knowledge area. I always start with that area first. Um, and when I sit down and co-plan with teachers or, or, or kind of guide them through this, it's the, what do you know about this topic? What, is, what are the key elements of knowledge that we have to know to do this? And then we move into the pedagogy. So what are the, what are the available pedagogical strategies that we could use? Is it think, pair, share? Is it, you know, jigsaw? Is it whole group? Is it a flipped environment? I mean, just listing out what all those different types of strategies are and then overlaying those to see which one is the best. So for what content is the best pedagogical strategy? Uh, You know, so maybe looking at a shared reading, might be a really great way to do a think pair share. So you have students that are, are looking at this reading together and then they're going to come in and do a think pair share. And then, uh, you know, so, so you can marry those two um, pieces together. And then the last piece of it is technology knowledge. And so what tools do we have available with us that would improve the, the learning experience? So with that, I mean, would it improve the engagement opportunity or would it improve the demonstration opportunity? And if you can't answer either of those using the, the, the tools that you have at your hands, then it might not be the best place to, uh, to add technology. TPAC becomes a planning tool to really um, develop that that sweet spot of instruction, if you will. Well, and I know you've thought about and written about a lot of these things. Can you give a plug for where people could follow you and see some of what you're talking about specifically? Um, well, sure. You can uh, You can find me on social media at um, bhodges.edu. Um, I also 
I'm super honored to, to lead a lot of the work for Future Ready Instructional Coaches. And you can follow us by using the hashtag Future Ready Coaches or go to futureready.org and learn about the Future Ready Instructional Coach Framework as well as Future Ready Librarians and Principals and District Superintendent and IT as well. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of amazing resources out there for how can we really reimagine the learning environment for our students to, to really help push the learning. Great. I think it's important for educators to kind of know, where do we start this journey? Where do we find this important information? Um, So let me ask you what you would say maybe to a veteran teacher who is a great teacher, somebody just really skilled and is a little reluctant or maybe even resistant to incorporating ed tech because they kind of see that as disconnected from, you know, quote, real teaching, unquote, or that it's kind of a glorified babysitter in some cases. I've heard a lot of those kinds of comments from really incredible teachers. What would you say to that educator? Yeah, we definitely have all had those. You know, there have been amazing educators all throughout history, right? Technology is not what makes a great teacher. A great teacher is what makes a great teacher. You know, heart for learning and a, and a knowledge base for kids and for, for helping people see information in ways that they wouldn't necessarily see otherwise is what makes a good teacher. But that said, uh, I would encourage that teacher, maybe if they feel really strongly and passionate about what they are doing in the classroom, then perhaps leave that there. But are there ways that their students could leverage tools to better um, demonstrate their knowledge? You know, so I, I, like I said, as an English teacher, um, it was really, really helpful for me to provide a global audience for my, for my students. So my students started blogging. They started um, websites. They started, you know, being able to put their information out there for other people. That didn't necessarily mean that I had to change my instructional focus from our text. You know, I still taught a to Kill a Mockingbird and Fahrenheit 451 and, and all of those wonderful things, but I allowed their demonstration of knowledge to, to leverage different resources. So they could use iMovie or they could use GarageBand or they could use all different kinds of ways to incorporate that information and then give it back to me. That really changed their engagement with the assessments that I was giving them, if that makes sense. So my teaching style was still, you know, how I was comfortable, but I, it gave me more opportunities for them to demonstrate their learning to me outside of just that typical traditional platform. And, and I really saw my kids connect in. I will say, you know, one of the things that we often find is our assignments that we give kids. Sometimes, sometimes even the, the, the quote unquote best kids out there don't always bring us the, uh, the quality that we were looking for whenever we, we um, went in their assignments. And what I mean by that is because like, for example, if I were to ask you to draw a picture, you know, create a poster representing one of the major themes found in To Kill a Mockingbird, you might not be the greatest artist. And you might look at that poster board and go, wow, I could spend 15 minutes drawing a bird or I could spend 15 days drawing a bird and it's still going to look like a stick figure. And so 
I'm not going to get the quality out of it that I would want. Whereas if I allowed them to expand their resources and utilize an online tool to where they could, you know, bring that in and manipulate it and uh, bring in an image and, and choose it to be more representative of their own personal thought and then perhaps animate it and give multiple perspectives on it, I'm going to get that true rich experience that is much more indicative of what is in their mind than a one-dimensional stick figure. And what about, you mentioned, you know, teachers who might want to just, you know, they're spending all their time grading and this may be a whole nother way of helping to assess mastery or understanding. And also, can you speak just a little bit about how that works with um, improving differentiation? I, I cannot imagine trying to differentiate for all of the learning in my classroom, let alone without having those technology tools. Um, you know, I can share an example of, you know, having having tools, one of the tools that, that I'd used in my classroom was Adobe Spark Video and having my students be able to drag in copyright free images and and as well as record their voices as they were explaining something was really, really important. And it was really important for my gifted learners, but it was almost more important for my learners who learned very differently from my students with, with special abilities. A tool like that gave a voice to my kiddos that that weren't always able to have that in any other way. And they were able to um beautifully and and eloquently give their own voice to a project that would not have been available to them without those resources. You know, again, kind of coming back to what is that student in your classroom who's not getting the information? What would it take for them to get the information? And let's work for that kid as opposed to the kids who get it so easily all of the time. So for somebody who's, you know, maybe at the beginning of this journey, what best practices do you recommend for educators in the classroom kind of as a starting point? I think definitely getting to your why of what it is that you're you're wanting to learn. It's very tempting to just go and, and Google whatever your topic is, whatever your subject is. You know, for me, you know, best 100 apps to use in the English classroom. I think that that's very tempting to do. And, and I certainly did that when I was starting out. But I think that what ends up happening with that is then we forget why it is that we need to teach the information that we want to to begin with. And, um, you know, I go back to your, your earlier questions over that teacher who is brand new to this and that is totally overwhelmed and now feels like they're having to start completely over again. Don't be that teacher. Just find the one thing. So my encouragement there is find the thing that you hate the most, that you hate to teach the most and find a way to do that thing better. Don't go after the thing you love the most. That, that you're, you're killing it. Your passion comes through in the things that you love the most. But find the thing that, that's, that's challenging that you don't feel like you do a good job of and then think through, how could I make this better? What is it that my kids aren't getting out of it? And what do I need them to get out of it? And then go find a way to make that happen. Well, a lot of teachers feel like they learn better if they can see it done or can look at a video or something. Are there websites or resources where it kind of introduces them in a small way, in kind of the way you're mentioning, where they could actually see it? Oh, my goodness. I think there are so many resources. Number one, get on Twitter. 
you know, get on Twitter, connect on Twitter, shoot me a message, whatever you would like. That is one of the biggest testimonies that I can give is Twitter changed my teaching practice. It made me a better teacher. It makes me um, a better instructional coach. It makes me a better administrator and leader every single day. I can't say enough about social media, be it Instagram or Twitter. I'm constantly seeing it's, it's a gateway into other people's classrooms. You know, I, I look at that constantly for professional improvement and ideas. You know, I'm, I'm like today I sent out a, a message to, to four people on Twitter and said, hey, I need your thoughts on this. You know, what do you think about creating social media teams at the early elementary level? What does your ambassador program look like? And, you know, you immediately get responses and then they tag other people and it just keeps going and going and you get, you know, these real snapshots of, of that in there. What solutions uh, could you propose for administrators and districts that would really improve ed tech effectiveness or instead of just buying a lot of stuff, um, which I think people equate with ed tech sometimes, um, you know, what, what kind of advice would you give to them? We, we often think from a leadership perspective, if we've had these focus groups and if we've had these town hall meetings and if we have this quote-unquote open door policy where people come in and, and visit with us, that we believe that our why is being communicated. But I, I would challenge that. If you're seeing a hiccup in your implementation, in my opinion, that is because your why has not been adequately communicated and you're not seeing each level of your organization develop their own why and identify with that why. I think the biggest part of your why has to be through the learner's lens. And we have to know why adding these tools or, or adding that purchase or getting, you know, this software platform or, you know, going one-to-one or creating an instructional, you know, philosophy around balanced literacy or whatever the case is, we have to know what that will look like for that learner and why that will become important before we can really get significant buy-in there. Wow. So that's such great information and, you know, recommendations that people can actually use. Thank you so much for providing the outline or the roadmap for kind of figuring this all out, even if you're starting at the beginning as a district or as an educator. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, I, I would definitely, if you're, if you're looking at it from a district perspective, again, the Future Ready framework at futureready.org, there's an amazing dashboard tool that you can go through that is, is real, it's free. It's completely free for, for school districts, for everybody to go through and, and really kind of step yourself through um, what that looks like from a district perspective, as well as through each one of those lenses of, of instruction and, and of education. And, and we used it in, in my district. Um, it was a great kind of checkpoint for us to say, this is where we're at. What should we do? You know, oh my gosh, there's so much information out there. We don't know where to start. So I would encourage anybody out there to, uh, to utilize that resource if you're looking for one. Thanks to Mike, Melissa, and Brianna for their insight. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and want to remind you that you can find resources and recommendations from today's guests by going to www.readinghorizons.com forward slash podcast. Please join us for our next episode on literacy challenges and solutions for students on the autism spectrum. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Podcast. 
To be notified when future episodes are available, subscribe to Podcast on iTunes. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review. To submit discussion topics or to recommend a student, parent, educator, or expert to be interviewed on future episodes, visit readinghorizons.com slash podcast. Podcast is sponsored by Reading Horizons. Visit readinghorizons.com slash trial for 14 days of free access to our software. Reading Horizons. Reading is for everyone.